Over recent weeks, we've seen huge controversy about the Ledger physical hardware wallet. Uh, today's conversation, we're going to dive into exactly what that controversy is all about and get into some of the nuances of what that really means for the, the crypto space as a whole. Now, this is a challenging conversation on the basis that we are going to get quite technical and many of our audience are uh, following our show, The Uncharted Podcast, because they are starting to get a, a sense of what the market's all about, getting their head around the jargon, the technology. So we're going to try and position this conversation that give you a fuller understanding of the wider context, looking at the differences between hot and cold wallets. You know, if you're listening for the first time and just learning what crypto is all about, you probably think, what on earth are you on about straight out of the gate? Uh, but we also want to tailor this conversation to those who are perhaps seasoned investors and uh, heavily into the ethos that crypto offers and why this latest controversy is um, of interest because of that philosophy that comes with self-custody and um, the ethos of crypto and digital assets. So there's a lot of ground to cover. Sam and I are very excited about this episode. We spent a lot of time trying to make sense of what's going on here. A lot of our community are asking us about what's going on with Ledger, and we really wanted to address that question, but it's not a, it's not a simple question to address, you know, which, which leads into you know, our long-form expansive conversations that we have here on the Uncharted Territory podcast because it requires that depth. And, you know, even even we'll, we'll do our very best to cover the, the, the nuance here. There's probably a lot of ground still left that will be left to cover uh, given what we can cover in an hour to an hour and a half. So uh, sit back. If you are one of those seasoned investors, as we cover the basics, we won't be offended if you tap the fast forward button, uh, but there will be stuff in here for you as well. So Sam, big topic today. There's a mountain. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge topic. And, you know, I've been looking at it and trying to unpack it myself over the last 10 days, you know, and, and you know, people have asked me, you know, for a quick opinion, but it's so nuanced, it's so big, which is why, you know, I, I knew we'd be chatting about it and want to go through it. And it's, it, it really, it really fits in with what we're trying to do down, which is get a bigger picture, holistic view on it, and look at the nuances. And so, you know, so much challenge is, is finding good info that looks at all different angles. And again, we've often sort of bemoaned, you know, that so much on YouTube is short form and kind of clickbaity and very dramatic. But this really requires a longer form discussion, you know, and I've, you know, it's not easy for people who've been in crypto a long time to unpack. That's what I think, you know, you've, you've, you realize that it's not something you unpack quickly, even for the real long term crypto hardcore person. It's a really complex um, topic, let alone for somebody who's new. And I think that's what's really important to take time not jump into, you know, kind of oversimplified view of it and get, get too into the drama, but really try and look at all the different facets. And it's, it's yeah, it's huge. We'll try and keep it to an hour and a half today, yeah. but, but um, you know, we might do a follow-up. Yeah, so the irony is, from a personal perspective, but the day my, my ledger, like I'd recently invested in the ledger uh, hard wallet, and the day it arrived, the controversy kicked. <laughs> I was yeah. like, oh, timing, wonderful. Now, my device, I don't believe is affected at this point, um, but, but before we get... So I think it might be useful, Sam, if you if you could outline, you know, what firstly what the controversy is all about, you know. So yeah. so what's happened that's led to this uproar, and then I think we need to kind of take a step back and unravel the pieces. Yeah, if absolutely. We, if if we start by kind of presenting what what the what the what the fuss is about, and then and then work from there. Yeah, well, obviously a key tenant that we've discussed, and obviously I talk about in in, in the digital assets course, is the self custody, sovereign self custody aspect of crypto, meaning that you take your assets into your self custody. So rather than being held by any third party, you know, like an exchange, which for you know, people are new to, it's like an online crypto bank. 
you know, you're mitigating third party risk because you are actually taking custody as you would if you were taking your pounds out of the bank and having them at home. You've actually got them, you know, you actually own them. And that's really important. And that's that's really sort of, you know, baked into the important ethos of crypto is, is you know, sovereignty and control of your own assets. So that's where we come into private wallets, taking your assets, whatever they are, into your own private wallet. Now, I just want to give a little background of wallets because that will confuse people totally new. There are uh, different types of wallets, and you just alluded to them, Dan. Hot, you know, I'm going to try and keep it simple because there are, there's a spectrum within that. But at a basic level, hot wallets, which we call software wallets, and cold wallets, which we'd call hardware wallets. And what's really important to understand in, in, in crypto is that what your wallet holds is not your actual crypto assets. They are on the blockchain, you know, on an immutable ledger. I don't mean a ledger device, I mean a ledger as in yes, immutable, yes. you know, blockchain. Um, and what's important is your what your what your wallet actually stores is your private key, okay, which is unique to you. So when you set up a wallet, whether it's hardware or software, a fresh private key is generated. And typically, you know, that then can interact with the blockchain to sign your transactions. So in a sense, all your assets will then belong to that private key. I use this kind of, you know, when I try and explain to people a kind of, um, you know, more visual idea, because it's, it's hard to get that, you know, that idea of, well, I've got these assets on the blockchain, they're linked to the private key. I give that example of, you know, you've got your safety deposit box in the cloud on the blockchain and your private key is what opens it. It's not literally like that, but I think it's helpful to think of it in that way, that you've got a sort of safety deposit box. What your wallet is, is your key and your key can open that and, and sign transactions to move, you know, move your assets. So the key core differences are that a software wallet, which could be an app on your phone or your computer, the private key, and here again, there's a bit of a nuance here, the private key goes through an algorithm and turns it into your seed phrase. Okay, and that typically is either 12 or 24 words. You know, you don't choose them, it's, it's created, unique to you. And that is really what you store, you know, and you need to safeguard because that is your access. And the important point is that when that's generated, you are the only person in the world that knows it. And that's the sovereign self-custody aspect. Mm. But with a hotware wallet, you know, uh, sorry, a hot software wallet, you know, your private key is stored on a device which is online, i.e. your phone or your computer. Therefore, it's at greater risk from, you know, malware, attacks, you know, any kind of hacking. So the real gold standard has always been for people to move into cold storage, okay, cold hardware wallets. So essentially, which is, you know, Ledger being the, the, the leading world manufacturer for them, you know, had, has the most market share. And essentially what you've got is you've still got software, you know, on your phone screen or on your computer screen. You've got the app, but your private key is stored in a physical device that you then plug into your connect to your um, computer or phone, interact the software. But the private key is in that hardware device. And the real key element which makes it safer is it is offline mm. and that's crucial. So therefore, it's not exposed to being online. It's not it's not at risk from viruses, malware, hackers. It is literally stored offline. So that's been really important. And, um, you know, Ledger have been the kind of market leader. They've always been great at communication, a lot of their education stuff, because they've been really, you know, clear about, you know, this is why it's important having your key privately secured offline. And it's important to know that, you know, your private key is generated, but the company you're getting that, you know, piece of either the app or the hardware from, they do not know what it is. 
you know so only you you're the only person in the world who knows that private key and that's where the responsibility aspect comes in Dan because this is the point where it's about control and sovereignty but you are in charge you have to find a system to secure that private key make copies um, you know and we'll maybe get into that whole whole challenge as well but it's not something that should you lose your private key you know that you can then email somebody or get it back yeah so there's the real kind of jeopardy in it it's control and sovereignty but there's a huge huge amount of, you know huge amount of jeopardy if you lost all your devices and then needed your private key to back to restore them and you've lost them all so it, that's the real challenge but as we always say sovereignty takes work and takes effort and like if you had your you know all your cash at home you'd have to find your way of storing it and, and securing it so Ledger have been at the forefront of, of educating people about this because that's what their product does. They've been had very good design, um, you know. So they they really captured the market share of this last few years, and you know that's why they've been so huge. And what's the controversies really come up because they have now introduced a service, um, a firmware update. It's going to get a bit technical. That means that you could opt into a service if you didn't feel comfortable securing your own private keys that then sends your private keys with your permission out to be stored by some third party custodians. And it's encrypted and sharded and, and broken up. And it, it's hard not to get technical when we talk about this. But basically, the fact is, the real furore is that the perception has always been that the private key can never leave that secure element. Okay, it's on a secure chip within the device. What this has brought up, and it's brought up a huge conversation is that the reality is, well, they can you know, obviously create a firmware update that does enable this. So this has been the real, you know, furore because there was a huge perception in that this could never happen and their communication has been quite confusing. They were always very clear, your private key can never leave the secured element. And now they've introduced, a, you know, an optional, when we really could this optional service you could pay into if you didn't feel confident in through that, that you could have your private key backed up, but it would be sending a copy of that to third party custodians to hold in case you lost your own, didn't have access to it and wanted to recover it. So it's called the Ledger Recover Service. So that has caused huge uproar because it goes against the real core ethos of the private key should never go to anybody else, you know, uh, shouldn't be able to go anybody else. And really it's shone a light on so many aspects down, which, you know, I'm sure we'll, you know, you'll be great at helping us to unpick together with your questions because, you know, I could go on for hours without you getting involved here is, is it's brought up great questions about that very few people in this space, even people who've been in crypto a long time, really understand the sheer technical security levels of this, you know, wallet technology, how that works. And it's just opened a lot of people's eyes to it, you know, because it's such a complex area and it's hard to communicate it and, and really understand what's going on, even for people who have really been a long time, because it's very technical. So it brings up so many questions and it's, it's shone a light on this whole area. And actually, you know, as, as much as it's been, challenging for people i think it's important it's brought up important conversations down and it's yeah. important look at look at where we go because essentially we talk about in crypto you know the important tenant being that you don't trust you verify and what this has shone a light on is in fact we are trusting slightly you know the hardware wallet manufacturer that they're not going to uh, you know bring in a firmware update that can take the private key off your device when it's when it's uh, attached to you know to the internet so that's that's you know that's the real core issue that's, that's kind of exploded there's been loads of chat about it and it's been unraveling and, and evolving as in the past it will continue to do so there's been developments and we'll get into those but that hopefully that gives you a, an overview of the situation
Yeah, and the, the response and the reaction to the launch of that service has not been subtle. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, huge uproar and like rage, like actual yeah. rage. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's videos of people like burning their devices, beating them up with sledgehammers. You know, it's like they're, I mean, that's the sort of thing that goes viral on the internet. So totally. So yeah, yeah. We, we, we should have started the session with that, you know. <laughs> Um, but the reason why there's that anger is, is for that element because there was that belief in this trustless system yeah. that you had true self-custody of your assets without an intermediary and that was the perception that people had uh, and that you rightly said that the, the secure element of the device is what holds the, the key and that's down to your own custody in your own custody and that the, the manufacturer or, or the software provider cannot in any way extract that key absolutely yeah. and, and and ledger had you know gained so much you know trust you know i say they had gained some trust because their secure element had never been hacked their device had never been brute force so you know there was a lot you know and that's why they became the market leader their design was very good they use interfaces very accessible their education around this topic was been really good so there's that you can see why they became that you know and I've, i'm a ledger user so most of the people i know and you know always enjoyed their products so it was a real surprise because they've always talked about this core tenant, but we'll get into it. We understand why they've done it. And, you know, there's an argument for and against. And But interestingly, Dan, it was quite funny that, you know, somebody I know when they first, you know, um, got sent this kind of screenshot of the announcement by Ledger, you know, that's on, they thought, well, that's just a fake phishing attempt, <laughs> you know, because it goes against so much the idea that your yeah. C phrase can go anywhere that people are like, oh God, that's, you know, somebody's copied web, Ledger's website because it's a phishing attempt to, you know, fool Ledger users into... But, you know, they didn't believe it was real. And I think yes. that's why, again, you talk about the shock. It was such a surprise, yeah. you know, because it, you know, although it's understandable, we'll, we'll get into why they've done it. And there is some, you know, there are valid reasons behind it. But the communication was, was poor and it was such a, a surprise in terms of the core ethos of the, you know, particularly the hardcore crypto self-sovereign um, yeah. community. Yeah, so we can talk, yeah, we can talk about the company's reaction. I think the why behind it is an important one to touch upon because... Let's face it, if you hold a large amount of crypto, uh, representing a large proportion of your overall assets, you know, holding that in self-custody, even then, is, is comes at a risk. Because imagine, you know, you've got a significant sum of money, essentially, through digital assets, and you lose your key. Yeah. You know, unlike, you know, if you forget your internet banking password on your, on your bank, or, you know, even if you get hacked, yeah. you know, even if the bank gets hacked, yeah. you, you're generally covered. You know, I've I've had money stolen from a cash point and before and within a couple of days, like however much it was, 900 quid, came back in my account. Yeah. You know, none of those things <laughs> are going to happen uh, in the world of digital assets and crypto at this point. So if you lose your secure key, like if you if you forget your uh, seed phrase, you're you've lost you've lost your money. It's not yeah, I, th I think it's important. We important point to make that that's that's aside from any of the, you know, controversy about this this system whatever even if the even if the secure element they designed meant it could never leave at all whatever they did that's still a risk so you're right down there are inherent aspects to self-custody and sovereignty and we always talk about that that's a it's a harder road yes you, you know could, with, you, you could lose your device yeah like i've dropped my car keys down the drain before you know it's, it's, it's important it's yeah. important it's important to make that point that the yeah it, the important thing is the private key yeah so people can understand this because it, it does confuse people the private key is everything, your yes. seed phrase, because yes. should you lose your device, it doesn't matter. 
you know, should you, you, you have a software, you know, a, a hot wallet on your computer, your phone, you lose that. It doesn't matter. It's the private key, you know, your, your seed phrase, which means you can then reinsert that and restore the wallet. Yeah. So I think it's important to buy that. That's why almost like the, the device is not important because the device has a, as a pin code on it, as you would on your app, you have a passphrase. And I, I use ledger examples. We're talking about it because it's important to understand it works. You've got an eight digit pin on there. Okay. So if somebody found your device or you lost it, but some, or somebody stole it, they would have three attempts to get your eight digit pin, right? Mm. Okay. After three attempts, that device is then wiped and restored to factory settings. Because remember, all that device holds is your private key mm-hmm. to sign transactions. So once it's completely wiped, well, for them, all they've got is an empty ledger. You know, they, yes, they, there's yes. nothing they can do with it. You know, they can put their own private key. So you can always just buy a new new device and import your private key into it. So you you restore access that way. Right. You know, and 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 in and equally, it's important to understand that this this key you know, goes across lots of different wallets and apps. So I could take my ledger key, you know, which is why it's important when people store their device, store their, their keys. Somebody, if somebody's got your, your written down seed phrase, they don't need your ledger device or need ledger. They could go in and into another app and input and, and put that in because that's, that's, it's not, um, it's not exclusive to any of these, these manufacturers or these apps or these creators. That's very important to understand. A lot of people don't understand that you could put the same key into another app because essentially what the apps are you know, is, is a graphic user interface between you and the blockchain yes, yes your key because the key is is just unique to you it is not part of that app or part of that company's infrastructure it is between you and the blockchain so that's another nuance that i think the, you know it's important to educate people about yeah including myself clearly <laughs> <laughs> um yeah but the, it, this this shows the complexity of it yeah and, and the reality is um, it's a totally different ball game than transacting with a traditional bank in a centralized yeah. fashion where you have an intermediary who protects your funds and, you know, it, the, the simplicity of using the traditional system means that you have lower, lower levels of responsibility. But, but the, the, the self-custody, the trustless system, you know, taking out the intermediaries um, is one of the major draws. You know, it's one of the major pull yeah. factors that, that people are appreciating and the fact that it has, comes with potentially higher degrees of privacy. Mm. So, you know, that then in this new system comes with a great degree of responsibility and 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 with responsibility, some risk. Um, yeah. So the fact that now this device is not all as it seems has created, interestingly, a loss of trust. Um, so it breaks the question around whether a trustless system is actually even technically possible. Yes, um, because it's because it's shone a light on on all wallets, really. Yes. Although although it's come out of ledger, you know, it's, it's important realization from a technical point of view that that's technically possible. That firmware update, you know, from the other companies could happen. Indeed. So so it's not it's not unique to ledger's system. So I think it's it's shone a light on this whole area, which is important because and again we call this podcast uncharted territory and particularly with crypto is such an involving space and so new and the tech is you know is, is evolving day by day that we are you know in in new territory and things are going to change and we need to, we've we've often talked about down we need to be you know particularly as early adopters these things agile adaptable and uh, and and willing to learn 
you know, and that's a key part of it. It takes more effort. And these, these new systems and particularly these early stages do take much more effort, which is why, you know, the, the masses often get corralled into things that have the least effort, you know, yes, but yes. Have, have, have much more control to them and, and less sovereignty. So again, it's this way up, isn't it? Yes. You know? And this, the CEO said that, you know, to quote um, Pascal, who said, uh, I've got this on the screen here, you're saying that this is not what customers want. Actually, this is what future customers want. And what he's referring to is the hundreds of millions of people who have not yet adopted crypto or digital assets. They're, you know, at the early stage of the adoption curve that we're still in, really, even though there's been significant growth, um, there are still lots of barriers to entry, which include some of the things that we've just touched upon. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, the biggest question I ask myself is, is are people ready for that level of responsibility that comes with self-custody and effectively being your own bank? managing your own finances with the, with the, the degree of responsibility that's required. And I think my overall sense is probably not. No. History, this is why centralized institutions emerge because yeah. they fill, fill, fulfill that gap, that need. So, you know, the rationale for, for Ledger launching this recovery piece is to, in their mind to unlock a new wave of adoption yeah. uh, to, to welcome because it reduces the risk by enabling you to recover your 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 um, your code, you know, because yeah. that's that's what the software and, and they, you know the shards even sounds technical. So yeah, it is technical here. Yeah. <laughs> Breaking up your your key into three pieces and distributing them across three different providers, encrypted, of course. Yeah. Um, um, then creates a possibility of you restoring. Yeah, and the key element, obviously, is that to, to you know, and obviously it's an opt-in service, and what what they really obviously, if you if you did sign opt-in, that you know, I don't think I, I don't know anybody I know will be doing that. I certainly won't be doing that because yes. what it does also is it's 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 putting you through KYC, indeed, know your customer. Yeah. So in a sense, you are completely identifying yourself. You need to give all your deals over because that's how it works. You know that you then recover with your identity. So in a sense, you are moving much to back to a traditional system of, you know, like a bank account, really, where you've given your details, those assets are linked to you, that private key is linked to you. But it's important to realize that one of the other tenets of all these wallets is you're not giving any info, you know, that it's permissionless. Yes. So in a sense, to get a, to get your private key, you know, like we said, Dan, somebody's never been in crypto ever, within five minutes, I did it at a workshop recently just to show people at one of the conferences I at, you know, within five minutes, you download an app, you've got your private key. Yep. Now, you didn't give over your passport, your name, your date of birth, anything. But obviously, with his recover service, what it is, yeah, like I said, you know, the, the, a copy of the private key is going to these three entities encrypted. So they can then rebuild it should you want to recover it. But obviously, what you're doing is then having to give over your you know, passport, your ID, so they can verify that's you. And so essentially, you're turning you know, a, a sovereign um, you know, hard wallet into a you know, KYC'd hot wallet essentially you know so it's a complete it's a complete paradigm shift and that's why you know there was a lot of uproar people you know myself thought you know perhaps it would be wise of ledger to launch a new product for yeah. that market saying this is a product that has this capability this is designed for that purpose for the for the new market if you don't want self-sovereignty and leave the original one alone you know and, yeah. and, and, and but 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 obviously you know they're looking at doing it from a firmware update um but yeah so that kyc element is is it is the antithesis of you know permissionless indeed and it takes away that anonymity that yep. comes with that access and 
again, here is where it gets challenging because if you think about like the longevity of where this is going to go and the bigger question as we've covered around central bank digital currencies, it's almost inevitable that central bank digital currencies will be a similar form to what we're accustomed to within the traditional financial system yeah. that, that offers those protections, that offers those securities, that offers that um, uh, peace of mind that you get from knowing that if you screw up, you can call someone and send a support message and, you know, your issues will be resolved, you know, the, but the, the reality is right now is that that also comes with major problems that, that, that as we've covered in previous episodes. So people are very excited about decentralized finance because it removes that centralized element where they have an enormous amount of power over how money and how the monetary system and economic system is guided. Uh, and it, it's, you know, at the individual level, there are benefits, but there's also societal benefits from a, a decentralized approach. And what this, I suppose, service that's been introduced through Ledger or proposed because they've <laughs> backtracked. Backtracking a bit, yeah, we'll talk about a bit, that. A bit, a bit, yeah. Um, uh, it is, I suppose, a gateway to what you, some would argue is necessary to reach mass adoption and... That brings a whole question of wider regulation. I mean, the the uh, the other piece that's, that's come up, the really important piece that's come up as a result of this recovery service is the fact that because you go through the KYC that you mentioned, that now regulatory agencies, government agencies, security agencies can hypothetically subpoena and, and get a hold of your details. You yep. know, so, so where previously that's, that's not yep. possible. So now, yep. you, again, you become at the hands of the government. Uh, yep. and other other other, other inst- potentially other institutions um now from a from, again thinking big picture you know why why is that why would some people argue that that's a good thing you know in the case of criminal activity fraud you know being able to identify the perpetrators is obviously how the current system works and it's how you know, criminal activity is able to be mitigated. But the big question then becomes in the absence of that in a totally decentralized, permissionless, trustless system, how do you address financial crime? You yeah. know, so, so it's all of these things are intense nuances because those who, who are willing to take the responsibility in many ways, in, in general terms, are willing to forego the risk that comes with... Um, such a system yeah um but then you can't discount financial crime yeah you know? so yeah if, if you want a completely permissionless trustless system and with self, self-custody and sovereignty then the big question then becomes how do you deal with the wider problems you know and how how do you how do you deal with the problems of, of someone losing their key you know that you know you may have taken best steps you might you know, there's lots of, we were discussing all kinds of approaches that one could take you know Write it on a piece of paper, put it in a physical safe. What if the ink, you know, what if the ink fades? You know, what if, what if your, you know, your 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 safe gets destroyed? You know, you're having to invest in like bomb-proof, fireproof safes. You know, it's it's. You know, I heard a story the other day. Someone stored their key on on their Google Drive, and their Google Drive got hacked. And twenty-five grand later, is uh, you know they they've lost. Yeah, which is why you should never store your private keys digitally ever. You know, and that's that's kind of one of the tenets of, you know, don't take a photo of it, don't store it on your computer. It's about physical copies. 
But I do want to, you know, I do want to sort of give a perspective on them because that this self custody aspect is is for the, you know, out of choice. You don't have to go that way. Of course. Now, obviously, that's the point that a lot of us we want to go that way. That Indeed. is about mitigating third party risk and having as much control as possible. But I always, you know, I always want to shine light on on what exists out there because, as we know, it's it's really important that people understand what options exist so they can choose their paths. So I always give the example that you know there are huge companies, and I always give the example of KPMG because they're one of the biggest you know um, accountancy firms in the world. You know, holding Bitcoin, and Ethereum, the two biggest um, digital assets in the world, on their balance sheet. Yes. Now they don't have a temp in their office looking after twenty four words, you know, <laughs> written on a piece of paper because that would, you know, not work from a you know, a governance style for a company and, and, and risk management, they will be using professional custodians. Mm. So, of course, there are all these systems exist. You know, you can pay for professional custody with insurance, yep. you know. So, and if you've got a huge amount of wealth, yeah, so that, that might be something you want to do, you know, and, it, and and think that there's a point maybe in your wealth where it's not, you know, it's too much risk. I do want to have safeguards where it's with... Um, you know, professional custodians with professional security level, that's their whole job, that's their whole, you know, um, reason for existing. And there's insurance that people pay for as well, you know, so in case they had the worst case scenario hack that it's covered. So these 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 solutions exist, but of course what they don't give you is, is you know, um, so full sovereignty Indeed. of your assets because, you know, as you know, any any third party could have some state intervention that freezes, freezes assets somehow. You know, and again, even though it can be unlikely, that's a possibility. So it's always weighing up these different options. You know, um, so you're absolutely right that inherently going full sovereignty full custody has greater risks, no question. Yes. And yes. you have to decide. And then some people may, you know, diversify and go, okay, I'll have some at a high risk. Maybe I'll diversify across some different options of storage. I haven't got all my eggs in one basket. So this is always a challenge. You've got to weigh up things and it, it's that effort again, isn't it, Dan? You've got to work it out and, and think where you are and, and be all right with the level of risk that you, you know, you, you feel you can manage or you're happy with. And that's always got to be personal to you, as we've discussed on some of our calls before with, you know, in the groups that, you know, you've got to find your own risk profile. Yes. You know, you, you know I always, always think about, you know, you want a system that you sleep well at night. Otherwise, what's the yes. point? That's, that's ruined your whole quality of life, you know? <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, even in the legacy system, you know, traditional banks offered things like safe custody boxes where you could, you know, deposit things like deeds or jewellery or valuables in the in this. But even then, even though they're insured and offer a similar type of service you've mentioned, you know, the, the staff within banks can access those boxes under dual control and there's yeah. nothing to stop them from then accessing what's private to you, of course, yeah, the insurance element is the is the key there that you could could indeed be covered if there is an element of crime. But this this is this is where it all gets very really fascinating because yeah. the desire for something that's not traditionally available. Yeah, you know, there are you know if you think about cash system, you know, holding cash at home. I've I've worked in financial services. I've got some horror stories from people who have lost large amounts of money. You know, most people don't realize that your home insurance covers you for very little cash. So if you have a fire, which I know, I know someone who, who lost 25 grand in a, in a house fire, you know, that's not covered on your insurance uh, unless you're paying a premium. Um, 
you know, there's the possibility of notes becoming outdated if you hold them for a long period of time, no longer in circulation. After a period of time, you get a notice period. After a period of time, you can't exchange them. So, you know, even the legacy system, which, which in, in to some degree you're taking a degree of custody, still comes with a degree of risk. So it's, it's, there's always a balance to this. Um, but equally, I can understand with the kind of ideals that have been presented with the decentralized finance model in a trustless system, in a permissionless system, ledger seemed like, to, to, to a degree, that offer that it offers that ideal. Uh, and now that now 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 that that perception has been broken, it, it's 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 hard to know if that can be recovered. If they can, it, well, it's hard to know if Ledger will recover from that. But but as you said, the the reality is any other manufacturer could do the same. Yeah, yeah. That, that's where the trust still comes into it because absolutely, still, yeah. There's some still, level of trust in, in the hard wallet, you know. And trying to minimize that, that's where we can. I think it's important to have this conversation about open source. And, and closed source, you know, software. So, you know, uh, part of the accusation at Ledger is that they're not fully open source. And what that means, and again, it gets very technical, and I'm not a techie guy, but I like to learn off people who are more techie than me and try and get, get a good understanding of it, is that you can at least see all the code and therefore the clued up people who are tracking this all the time can see what code's going on there and see if, you know, anything malicious is happening or, or there's something they don't like in it. Um, but obviously, you know, so and Ledger have slightly backtracked and said, we are going to try and open up as much of our code to be open source as possible. But equally, they're saying, well, the secure element chip, we've got partners in that and it's very secure. You know, opening that up is not something we can do. But yes. then that gives concern. So it's this endless balance. And, and so as I've understood it, open source is great because you can see the code, and, and, but also makes it more vulnerable to hackers yes. because they can see the code and, see, and try and look for weaknesses. Now, you know, a lot of people have, of understandably the sort of second leading player in the market is Trezor. Yeah. Mm, so the yeah. two biggies in the market, Ledger have had the biggest market share and Trezor were kind of second in line. Now, a lot of people have, have, have thought, okay, I'll move over to Trezor and because they're fully open source mm. and that's great. You know, I've found their, you know, their device is not as, you know, again, not quite as well designed, you know, not quite as user-friendly. It's just different, you know, and a lot mm. of people have loved using Ledger because it's, it's had great, you know, great design and where it's where it's kind of laid out software. But I think it's important to understand, like I said, it doesn't mean that that um you know if they're lent on that Trezor could have a firmware update that does the same thing. And now the other uh, you know, and I think when when pushed about it, the you know the the top guys at Ledger said open source is great, but you still have to trust that what's what's <laughs> being released is actually what's being put on the open source on, on yeah, GitHub. On so device, yeah. yeah, so so again it's pointing out, you know, it's pointing out good points, which is you, you, there is some level of trust, you know, involved. Now, again, I, I've said to you, Dan, it's not that, you know, I think that it's in anyone's interest of, of the device, of the companies like Ledger or Trezor to do anything because, you know, they don't have an interest in your seed phrase. That's their whole model. If they did, you know, but the real issue is more the kind of worst case dystopian idea that a state, you know, or, or entity, from above wants to crack down completely on everything and wants to get in bed with these companies and secretly, you know, launch firmware that extracts everyone's everyone's um, private keys. Now that is an extreme example. And I'd argue, you know, very unlikely, but I'm still open to that. And, you know, it's particularly for our background and what we're aware of, it's not something I take lightly. 
I don't I don't brush out the carpet. I don't want that to be a possibility. But it's important to think that that is possible with a lot of these different devices. And there are other ways to mitigate it, which, we, you know, and there are, you know, that's why I'm not, I'm just curious in developments. You know, I think, you know, we discussed it before we came on. There are people working on systems that potentially don't have that possibility of firmware going in, but that's in production. So it's going to be a really evolving roadmap. And I think it's important not to, um, yeah, not get in a fear state, just to look at it as it is, not worse than it is. Yes. You know, and not rushing things. And I've, you know, I've said to people often that, you know, it's it's more a situation that I think is has ramifications potentially down the line in the long term, rather than oh my god, you know, my funds aren't safe now. And I think that's the problem with the YouTube kind of clickbait stuff is if you didn't have a bigger awareness, you could suddenly go oh my god, I've got a ledger. Well, my funds aren't safe. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, people have been using ledgers for years and they've had no, they're the, you know, they've been very safe. That hasn't changed. Yes, and the service is optional. That's the important piece right the, now. You know. The service is optional. You know. You don't have to opt into it. Um, you know, I certainly won't be opting into it. Um, and so it's more a concern down the line, the worst case scenarios. But I always say to people, the biggest risk to your crypto in the short term is is not a hacker. It's not the government. It's you. Yes. The biggest is particularly if you're new. So I think it's really important to, to bear that in mind that if you don't move, don't do anything out of a panic. You know, don't don't think I've got to move my because that's where people lose funds really more yeah. than anything. Take your time, understand things, and again, that's where I've I always take a long term approach and look at it. And you know, some people have seeing how things play out, and I want to see how things play out because Ledger have you know backtracked already. Yes, and they said they want to get a roadmap to open source as much as they can. So I'm just interested to see where it goes down, and also take my time looking at all the different evolving options that are coming out. And that's a whole huge topic in itself, which is why I don't rush around and say I'm going to, in the future, I think that wallet. It's it's a process. Yes. It's a process. Yes. And one needs to be agile and look at the options and and, um, and look at it as it is. And again, like I always like your line, not worse than it is. Dan. Yes. Yeah. But they've also now, so the, the whole conversation was it's obviously created massive controversy amongst the kind of early adopters and the kind of purists around the, the philosophy, which I totally understand. You know, I, I consider myself as a late early adopter. <laughs> well, everyone's still an early adopter. We're yeah, still in that base. That's the point. Adopter. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I'm thinking about it since 2011. Yeah. just took a little while to pull the trigger. Um, but the um, what this will now open the door to through, through Ledger's own viewpoint on this, actually looking ahead into the future, looking at the potential billions of users yeah. and their needs. And the, the reality is that the, the spectrum of responsibility and security, recognizing that, you know, sadly, a large proportion of the world settle for safety and security, yeah. you know, and, and don't want to take the responsibility or risk that comes with any other um, option. Yeah. So Ledger won't be the only company thinking about the next wave of adopters and yeah. their, their needs, which will likely be taken more secure form. And it will probably be, you know, a more centralized version of what we have emerging now. Yeah. Um, it will still offer other benefits like the speed of transaction and potentially lower transactional fees and efficiencies and all those types of things. But the, the, the trade-off is we're losing all of the benefits that come with the, the current manifestation. Yeah. 
as this has shown is that you know the perception of what that manifestation is is different from the reality and is the tech is the technical reality even possible to that degree of puritism puritanism that people are looking for the idealism rather and you know i think one of the commentators said it may have been even someone from legend they basically conceded that if you want that truly trustless system yeah you're gonna have to go to school and learn how to build one yourself you know you're gonna have to learn how to code you're going to have to learn how to build hardware you're going to learn how to protect against cyber threats yeah it, it's a must keep that and keep that updated and yeah exactly yeah. that's up that's a really really niche niche i mean super niche area full <laughs> yes. full-time job as being a, a an expert in that um yeah and i think what comes to me as you're speaking down is that you've got these two almost two angles that, that converge so you've got the idea of you know um maybe mass adoption and more people coming in the space You've also got what the powers that be may want to do, which is not have people with permissionless wallets Indeed. wanting KYC. And I said it in the, you know, I said it, you know, in the, in the, in my course, Dan, I've said it that, you know, always had that awareness that one day you could wake up and even to log into your ledger software, for instance, you know, and this could be any company or Trezor, you know, they've been lent on and you need to do KYC. Yeah. I've always made this point about this, the sovereign self-custody aspect of, that you're not because you've got your private key the beauty of that is you're not linked to ledger if that did happen you know and some would argue maybe this is a tiptoe towards that you know that part mm-hmm. of this angle of private service you know that's the conspiratorial angle which i'm open to obviously is yes. is not just that it was about you know market share but potentially they're they're preempting the future of you know big mainstream wallet providers will will be lent on that you can't provide your product without asking kyc because the powers that be don't want people to have permissionless wallets that aren't attached to an identity. So it's important to have that factor that if that did happen, say tomorrow, Dan, like for argument's sake, you know, I plugged in my device, I opened up the Ledger Live software and it said, okay, well, to use our interface now, you know, you need to give us your ID. Well, that's not a problem because I'm just, well, I'm done. I take my private key and I can go and import that into other wallet providers that don't have that system in place. And that's why I always talked about that in, in, in the, in the, in the course is that, you know, in a way this is preempted something I was talking about maybe down the line, maybe it's coming quicker than I thought, or it's coming a different way, but you're not attached to that wallet. Hmm. As long as you're your private key, you can then import that somewhere else. And there will always be tech people and decentralized things ahead of that curve. Yes. And this is where the sovereignty comes. If you want to stay sovereign, it will take more work. Indeed. Okay. And I think, this sort of leads me into another thought about the ledger recover service. Obviously the ledger recover sort is an opt-in thing where you actually do KYC. Now, if in that worst case scenario, which is what people's fear is, understandably is that ledger got lent on, you know, to take, um, you know, to, to put a firmware update in there. They didn't tell you about that extracted all your, all these private keys. Well, those private keys still haven't been KYC. Yes. So for me, it brings up the question. I'm just thinking aloud, Dan, all these, I'm having so many thoughts about it. Yes. How does that really work out? Because yep. that would literally mean, well, the government's stolen all these private keys. They're not being KYC'd. So whose are they and whose are the assets? How does that? Yeah, ha- how does it correlate? I mean, the most dystopian idea is that they don't care. And it's just everything, you know, crypto is completely banned. And every that's the kind of idea that, that would lend itself to that. But that's that's it's important to understand the difference between KYCing yourself and, and, and opting into that or them somehow in the worst case scenario, co-opting ledger, forcing this thing to take all these private keys. Well, I'm not sure how that plays out or why that would play out or, you know, that, and that is a genuine fear. And I understand that. And I'm, I, I respect that fear as well. I have it as well. I don't, I'm not belittling that, but it's important to think through all these stages, you know? 
that's why it always takes a longer nuanced discussion and thought because you can't you can't get it from 15 minutes on a YouTube and go, okay, I've, I think I know where I am now. No, you've raised an important point as well around the kind of regulatory and legal agencies leaning on these companies. Again, being, I mean, you know, I, I catch myself being too much of a realist these days. I must be getting old. You know, now I need to, I need to unleash a bit more of my idealist. Um, yeah, I must be getting old. Um, it's just yeah, because there's part of me that says, well, of course, the regulatory agencies at some point are going to be leaning not just on one company, but the entire industry. Yeah. You know, and not just regulatory agencies, law, you know, law enforcement, governments. And, and you know, where, where crypto intersects with modern society is where the laws will undoubtedly at some point come, which could force all of the mainstream providers' hands to require KYC. Mm. It becomes illegal, you know. So, but even then, you know that there's always been the Wild West. There's always been a, there's always exactly. a black, black market. There's always yeah. going to be an option. But that, again, yep. at, under those conditions, comes with even greater risk because yep. then you have the possibility or the possibilities of being caught. Now, the reality is within a blockchain system, although it's current setup, there are, you know, by, by virtue of the technology, it is actually harder currently for law enforcement agencies to identify. It's almost impossible uh, in lieu of uh, without KYC. But the, the problem is not the, the technology or the possibility that the technology offers itself is actually the way that people respond to law. And, and you know, most people don't know the law. Hmm. Most people don't know what's actually illegal. Most people don't know the fine details of the different clauses that, you know, underpin society. Yet we behave in accordance with the perception of what those laws are. Yeah. And, and so, so our behavior is governed by the fact that we know that there's a legal system. And, and, and as a result, the majority of people will abide by law abiding, you know, the idea of being a good law abiding citizen, whether that law makes sense or not, whether that law is reasonable or not, whether it's actually, you know, as we saw through the COVID chapter, whether it's actually even sane, people will not only abide by it, but promote it. So it's like, we have to also consider the possibilities of the long-term play here of the legal and regulatory pressures that the industry is going to face. Uh, and again, that's me being a realist. It's negative. You know, I would love to think that there's a paradigm shift available here and that we take a different path. Uh, you know, I think that is a poss it's still a very much a possibility that we move into a new epoch, a new era where we think very differently about finance. We think very differently about um, how we uh, engage on a peer-to-peer -peer basis, how we take a truly decentralized, trustless, permissionless uh process and technology but it forces us to think about you know the idea and we touched upon it in one of our other pieces of content that we're uh that we've recently recorded where the idea that some like one individual or small groups of individuals spoil it for everyone else we still have to think about those things we have yeah. to think about that financial crime we have to think about fraud we have to think about cyber attacks you know so if we want the response, if we want the freedoms that come with this ideal and this paradigm shift that we know is available to us, then we still have to address those elements. We can't avoid them. And, you know, that requires us to think creatively. If we want to live in a system where we are completely unidentifiable, 
no KYC, then we've got to also think creatively about how you deal with those who take advantage of that system. Totally. There's, 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 there's so much in it, Dan. It's such a, you know, that's why it's brought up as all these things do brought up a much bigger conversation. And I think, yeah, that it, it's, it's, you know, I think it's, it's going to be so interesting the roadmap, what role, you know, crypto plays. I mean, I'm very confident as we discuss, you know, blockchain technology plays a huge role in everything. And that's, that's the baseline take of the future. Yes, yes. How do it's more, how do decentralized versions of it that bring sort of a permissionless autonomy and privacy, how are they treated? You know, I already, you know, I was looking to the, um, the kind of US's bill, you know, that they muted last year. I was reading some of the small print there. It's what you're talking about, you know, that they don't want any digital asset service providers, which would be all your exchanges to be, you know, to allow them to have any any um, cryptos that involve privacy technology, you know. So again, it, it, as we were taught, you can't sum up crypto in one word because <laughs> there's so many facets to it. So also, like, what's the future of crypto? Again, brings another question of, well, there's there's loads of facets. You know, how will privacy coins be treated versus how will Bitcoin be treated versus how will because again, a lot of the the crypto assets are, are completely mainstream assets run and owned and controlled by and created by real huge mainstream entities that, you know, is part of the structure. So it's not, it's important to understand that the crypto space has rebellious kind of freedom feature in it, but it's not that in its entirety. It's everything. We always talk about that, it's the full spectrum. Yes. So really, I don't, you know, I don't have a view of, are they going to ban crypto? You know, you can't, no, it's part of the, the fabric of the world. And these, a lot of these digital assets are not currencies. They are, um, you know, ecosystems that are going to make the new world work for all in all sorts of manners and, and in, in terms of industries. So it's more about different sectors, how they're going to be treated and how how are we as individuals going to be allowed to officially, legally be, in, you know, interact with these certain aspects of it. So, again, it opens up a bigger question of, you know, we touched on it and discussion about recently is going to come out. Um, we'll put out sure, in, in some more content is, you know, what's the future look like in crypto because it's almost like i see that main crypto going mainstream will not be about self-cost custody and sovereignty it will be about the banks you know the, the banks of the future holding people's crypto hmm. you know and, and again it's more the question of how much you know adoption of, of people like ourselves who want that self-custody and, and sovereignty and want to take the extra steps versus who wants the easy version of it which yeah. will be delivered and assured and, and and how does that play out then and that's why we're in totally uncharted territory in, in every sense. And yeah, and there's yeah. no and there's no certain. I think it always boils down to. I think people understandably are wanting certainty, and that's that's that comes from a fear place. I understand that, but part of the kind of pioneering aspect of sovereignty is 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 almost going beyond that. I do think that's. I do think part of sovereignty really, sort of philosophically, is going beyond certainty. You know, and 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 so although we we're looking for sort of verification and going beyond trust in those systems, how how they fit in our world, I've got no certainty about how that plays out, and I have to embrace the unknown and 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 know that I'm just going to be agile and not rely on any of it. You know, all all I can rely on is myself to yes. take action every day. I know we get philosophical, but it's important to bring those elements in, isn't it? Oh, you have to. You can't avoid it. You I, can't. I, from an entrepreneurial thinking point of view, I get so excited about it because. It poses new challenges because if you are led by the ideal, which I think is a powerful thing to be to be led by, then you've got to you've got to think about the philosophy, you've got to think about the legal elements, you've got to think about society as a whole, you've got to think about paradigm shifts. 
but then you have to think creatively. It asks, you know, like, it, it brings us back to the classic entrepreneurial question, how, how could we or how can I? Because when you ask that type of question, we think about, well, okay, if we want to remain permissionless and trustless, how can we still meet these other needs that are being yeah. posed yeah. without compromising, like, without totally compromising the, the ethos and philosophy of what's being built? And the, and, the, and the bigger questions around, you know, how do we create a, a total shift in the way that we view the world of finance, the, the, you know, the world of technology? How do we create such a consciousness shift that we embrace these, these, these higher ideals? Mm. Well, self, is... self-responsibility is such a paradigm shift in, in the, in the <laughs> yeah. society that's been creative, particularly in the West. It's become the antithesis, antithesis of that. So, so going back to that is a paradigm shift, which a lot of us are very keen to to do and be on a path to but like you said you know my gut says to the majority want that no not at this time uh, you know I'm, I'm hopeful that over a long period that we're, we're going to move out of this and, and that will be part of the bigger cycle shift that happens in place but in the short term no it's the it's the old idea of you know they create a world that people will walk into most people yeah because they're not ready for the side it's the idea of you know again ask yourself hard questions of sovereignty we've talked about it if you could you really fend for yourself you know, could you really eschew all those systems today? Hopefully, a lot more of us are on that path towards, you know, growing our own food and, you know, and, and, and sorting our own health care and all that kind of stuff. But that's a path, isn't it? You know, and, and how many people are really ready to do that from where we've come from? Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, it just, it just brings up even more thoughts, you know, because <laughs> yeah. my brain's gone into what could the future look like? And I think about possible realities. And this brings together multiple parts of this conversation. Maybe I might be going too out of the box on this one. Um, but let's say with Bitcoin, let's take Bitcoin, yeah. right? You know, it's it's perhaps the most important asset class within yeah. this whole new space. Let's presuppose that central bank digital currencies manifest as we talked about. I mean, if you haven't seen yeah. that, if you haven't seen our episode on the central bank digital currencies, go and watch it because we literally on a map bring up like the countries that are in development, like the, the current where CBDCs are in development. Like most people don't realize that like 95% of the world's major economy is on the path. Like you've got to get clued up on this. Yeah. Um, like it's coming. Like, so let's presuppose they, they manifest and let's take, let's take a more hopeful view that they come without conditions. They come without programmable capacities and they effectively are a digital version of what we have now. Let's just put that there for now. Of course, we've talked about all the other realities. But let's presuppose as well that Bitcoin is regulated and, and enabled to coincide as a digital transactional vehicle alongside central bank digital currencies. Let's presuppose that happens. Well, then we have a one world currency. <laughs> All of a sudden, like the ideal of what Bitcoin offers suddenly becomes the antithesis. It goes from being utopian to totally dystopian. And, you know, it's one of my key phrases is that what's utopian today is dystopia tomorrow. Like it's history shows us that that's the way things play out. But then you ask yourself, you know, Bitcoin is regularly compared to digital to, to gold. Well, gold is universal. You know, the reason gold is different from Bitcoin is that gold is mined from the earth and therefore it's found in different varying quantities and qualities around the world. And, you know, historical <laughs> good fortune <laughs> where you happen to be mining determines the nation's wealth whereas with bitcoin the mining happens virtually across 
you know, yeah, across, the still. across the world. You, 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 know, you could say that, you know, we're mining this much over here, therefore, we, you know, like the whole game could completely change. But you've got to you've got to start to entertain these possible realities and what, the, you know, what what the possible consequences of having a single world currency like Bitcoin alongside, you know, it's just it's, it's I don't think it's within people's it's not beyond our imagination to see that, that that's a possible reality. And, and I know like if the people who are smashing up the ledgers are going to be reacting to what I'm saying here, because like, I get it. We don't want that. We don't want that. We don't want that reality, but we've got to entertain like the potential trajectories as, as well as looking at the ideal, you know, what would be the ideal? Yeah. There's uh, so many possibilities down. And so, you know, I, I mean, I like looking at all perspectives and I, I get, you know, I get overwhelmed by them because there are so yeah. many potentialities and, and I can't know. And that's where, I've got to come back to the present and and stay in that process, which is settle into the journey yes. and be curious and agile. And no, there are no certainties. So, you know, there is no system I can build for myself that I'm like, okay, that's, and again, maybe that's getting very philosophical, but that, that would take the whole point of life away, which is the uncertainty and you don't know and the, the evol- evolution and the challenge. And yeah, that you, you can't wrap it, you can't wrap it up. Um, yeah. And when you, particularly when you've got these, you know, you've got these counter, um, energies, you know, they're different. You know, the, the the desire for freedom, the dystopian desire for you know even more control. You know where that ends up, and I mean, when I, you know from a positive side of view, yeah, I'm just, I'm, it's it's fascinating times to be alive. Yeah, I mean, absolutely extraordinary. Yeah, but your point about bringing it back to the present moment is so key because whilst it's useful to entertain those possible eventualities, it's actually more useful. You know, the old adage, you know, you know, I've said it many times and you've used it as well. It's, you know, the phrase doesn't come from me, but, you know, see things as they are, not worse than they are. But we also need to see things better than they are. Meaning, yes, yeah. that's that's not that's not putting, you know, rose-tinted glasses on the current situation. To see things better than they are is to see the future better than it is now. Yeah. And that's where we create vision. That's where we get that ideal standard. So the question is, what can we do today to move towards a better reality? That's That, to me, is... Yes, it's useful to entertain and anticipate the road ahead because I think yeah. a lot of problems we face in society right now, like through the technological evolution we've seen, social media, et cetera, is the unintended, intentional or unintended, yeah. second degree consequences, third degree consequences of decisions that have been made further down the track. You know, you can't, you could, you may, may not be able to predict the mental health impact of social media on society. Maybe you could. But it's important, therefore, that we do start to think ahead about what the possible ramifications could be, as well as the possible benefits. But it shouldn't stop us from thinking about what is a what is a better what is a better reality that we can start to build towards. And that's that's something we can live through in the present. So we can start yeah. to shape. You know, the fact that there's been this reaction to Ledger understandably shows that there is a massive desire to yeah. do things differently, yeah. to do things differently, and to avoid the pitfalls that have come with the traditional ways of doing things. So that's a really important driver that's, that's, that's live and happening i'm glad you said that Dan, because yeah it's a, it's a catalyst rather than you could just be negative about it again I'll, in, and, and just go oh god it's another but it's it's driving things forward yes it's brought up important questions it's brought up important realizations it's you know it's brought up you know yeah greater awareness and 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 i think again once you embrace that the, the challenges are always going to keep coming and it's kind of like rather go oh you know you know throw throw the dummy out you know, it's like, okay, here we are and, and there's a hurdle to look at and, and, and challenge, but that's always going to be the way. And I think that's that's particularly part of the pioneering part, isn't it, Dan? Which is why if you want to be a pioneer and um, look at new things, then 
that brings with it all those challenges. But that's that's the richness of that path. Yes. You know, yes. if you don't want to, then there, I always say this, there is a world being built for people who don't want to hear that. And, you know, that's your choice. You want to go towards more of that. But that is about less sovereignty, less control and, and, and less responsibility and, you know, more of a nanny state kind of thing. So, yeah, there are there are lots more choices to be made on this side of the fence. And but that's 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 the. Yeah. Road. Oh, I mean, I mean that, that, that in itself, Sam, it's just like what, what I'm witnessing. And I think I've said this elsewhere as well, is that the uncertainty, like the lack of clarity around this new world that we're, we're talking about here is so deep. Yeah, yeah. The people are clinging on to the old yeah. world that they actually despise. Yes, yeah, <laughs> totally. We've seen that a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's like, you know, trying to cling on to the old way of doing things. Um, despite the fact the old way is becoming like riddled with authoritarianism, control, you know, increasing control, surveillance. You know, so it's understandably like we're seeing this reaction towards potential KYCs and, and, and all these things that come from the recovery service, etc., because it plays into that world of surveillance and yeah. you know, nothing is nothing is sacred. So, but the, the difficulty is that if we're not willing to embrace a new way of doing things, then we end up with what we already have. Yeah. And I think most people would agree with what we already have is no longer suitable for the bond world that we live in. So we've got to think differently uh, and, and we need more and more people to actually open their eyes to what's going on here because we talked about it in one of our early episodes, how other people's perceptions of what's happening in the world of crypto and digital currencies is actually even stopping people from even looking at it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad you, I'm so glad you brought that, that, that factor of, you know, the, the unknown meaning that people are kind of reticent and actually holding on because I, I think back to sort of 2020 and 2021, kind of a lot of early freedom meetings and, and, you know, what I realized, cause so, we all know there's so many agendas, it's so much going on. You know, what, what was the universal thing that would benefit us all? I realized in a lot of these, in, in a lot of these discussions we're having, and, and really it was great meeting people and having these discussions was what was the universal thing really was the barrier was not the agendas was our own fear. Yeah. And almost like that was the universal. We can look at all different ones, up, but, but the real issue was, which we all had is fear. Mm-hmm. And, and that is that fear element that is, that is stopping the progress. And, and, and because if you embrace the unknown, you know, and get beyond that fear. And again, that's a, I'm not saying you do that like that. That's a process for all of us. Yeah. But I think that's the real core issue that it was always like, what, you know, when we've talked about these meetings, trying to, you know, what do we need to sort out? Yes, we did some practical things and some activism, whatever, but really it was our own emotional state, wasn't it? Yes. It always comes back to ourselves. That was the real yes. issue. Yes. With much more than what was going on out there. That's something you could then face because once you'd got over your own fear, whatever, everything out there was dealable with. Yes. So in a sense, you know, the, the, the distraction can be, and, you know, we, I always talk about it coming back to ourselves. Yes, all those outside events and, and taking them on and, and looking at challenges. But if we don't look at our core own fear and, and, and getting empowered, then, you know, everything you do in that space doesn't work out nearly as well as if you're empowered. Because a lot of those things that really struggle with as issues aren't the same when you're empowered. Mm. You know, you know they, they, they take on a different form. So, and that's the same with this, Dan, that, you know, being in an empowered state of going, I'm all right with not knowing how this is going to play out I'm, because I'm not relying on knowing or relying on somebody else to say, this is the way to go. I know we're in uncharted territory and it's unknowable. Um, and, and, and that I think that can make us all more productive. Yeah, because we, yeah. we've, got, we've got to make mistakes and we? we've got to go forward and learn. Definitely. The irony is the irony is this, is that when you 
embrace that unknown and the uncertainty. For those who aren't willing to embrace the unknown and uncertainty, what they really want is certainty and control. Yeah. So the thing they're fighting against, control, <laughs> is the thing they're seeking. Yeah. And it's like, ah, <laughs> you know, you got. If you want to break the cycle of control, you have to embrace uncertainty, and that's that's scary. Yeah. So, uh, and that's where the fear comes in, and and we, you know, to go full circle with the ledger conversation, that dramatic, like, controversy, the reaction, it was like an emotion bot, like, it was an yeah. emotional bomb, like, all these fears going, like, projecting out really rapidly, yeah. like, created a wave of fear, like, hysteria kicked in, it's like, you can see how quickly the madness of crowds kicked in, again, yeah. again not dismissing the genuine concerns we no. covered today, you know, but it's the amplification of the noise and the, the fear that comes around it, and then they stop thinking clearly and think, what is the reality here? And what 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 is it? What is it? What is the way forward? Um, you know, and how can we make a, a, an informed and empowered decision in this moment based upon what is real uh, yeah. in, in front of me? Because you make bad decisions out of fear and, and oh, panic, totally. don't you? So, so that that was my again my bugbear about the the kind of YouTube short form clickbait ones. It didn't go into nuance, and they're just creating that fear and, and maybe making people decide to jump ship into other options they don't understand you know, other wallets or make moves that they, you know, it could be people potentially have rushed to move their crypto and there was no need, you know, because they suddenly thought, by God, it's it's all about to disappear, you know, which is not true at all. It's like, and and that leads them to making decisions and acting in ways that aren't, aren't healthy and, and, and good for, good for them. So yeah, it's really important to try and, again, we always talk about try and stay grounded amongst the noise, you know, there's so much noise and, and the way obviously Twitter and these things, and again, I'm not belittling like you. There is really important dramatic kind of points to be looked at involved in this, but not to get caught up in the emotion too much. Try and and also that things develop. You know, that's why I like to be patient and go, this is going to develop and it's still developing. Mm-hmm. And I want to see how this plays out and I want to see how other tech and other what it's play out because I'm you know, I'm not I don't need to rush into anything. Yeah, and, and even as we discussed prior to this, is how, how how Ledger are responding to the situation themselves. You know, we can clearly acknowledge there's been some really poor communication, yeah. but both yeah. during this and prior to this, in terms of the understanding, the perceptions that have been created about uh, the secure chip and the inability to, to for, for keys to move back back into yeah. the into the into the digital realm. However. How they're now ma- making amends, you know, the the pursuit of open source, the fact that this, you know, this situation had to come at some point, you know, this this had to, otherwise it would have just remained an anomaly, it, it, it would have been a problem that no one knew about. Like yeah. it's as you said, it's it's even those who are highly technical perhaps didn't see this coming. Like, you know, and it's actually brought a lot to light that needed to come to light. And I think how Ledger responds and how they are responding is is in a way will, will, will either make or break the trust because trust has been lost because yep. people have had this perception of what 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 was what was possible with this device. But now, how how Ledger respond could actually enhance the trust because they're 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 clearly showing they're willing to listen. Um, and the bigger questions that have emerged aren't exclusive to Ledger. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah, that's important. So. Uh, you know, they've just had the unfortunate reality of being the first one to ask, you know, to, to, to take the type of uh, actions that has opened up this this huge conversation. Yeah. And there are pros and cons on all sides. Dan. I know a lot of people, you know, obviously 
would have thought, okay, I'll move to the, the second, you know, biggest one, most well-known Trezor. And again, a lot of reason why people were on Ledger and not Trezor, even though Trezor is fully open source, you know, again, we can't necessarily trust that 100%, but it is fully open source, is that Trezor did have a brute hack of one of their devices, which Ledger have never had. Mm. So again, there were reasons, well, you know, lots of reasons prior to this why, you know, Ledger had the market share because their secure element had never been, when I talk about a brute force hack, it meant that with the actual device, they were able to get through the pin code. Yes. And again, it wasn't something that was easy. They had high computational power, oh, yes. some very clever, you know, hacker, but it was done once, mm. Yeah. you know, and again, so again, that's why there are, there are pros and cons and there are, there are potential issues everywhere. You know, so I think that kind of panacea, people jump very quickly. I think just, you know, that's why I take your time. Some people are very wise, think, oh, I might, I might diversify across, or I might, you know, you know, and again, there are, there's some really interesting, again, I'm not getting too technical, idea that, you know, air gapped wallets where there, there's no way of plugging in at all and it's all done by a QR code and scanning. That's a big area that's, you know, more secure. But again, their devices don't have a, a, as long as history of ledger of not being yeah. actually attacked themselves. So again, you can be very rational and understand it and say, move over there, but they don't have as much long history in terms of their own security team and their own. So, so this again, and, it, and I understand it. This is a real issue. It becomes overwhelming for people. Yeah. And that's why almost like, you know, I'm really glad we've had this chat and I wanted to, because, you know, you can't, I can't sum it up. I can't sum up, <laughs> you know, and I'm, I'm learning myself. What times we all are, as I said, there are people far more advanced than me, who were taken by surprise by this, you know, who, you know, they didn't know. And so, so it's so few people understand the full, you know, level of those tech because it's really high tech and really nuanced at that level. And that's almost only the real specialists involved in building these bits of kit understand it. So I think, yeah, it's important to understand that, you know, there are lots of other um, choices coming forward and, and, and ways forward. And it's, a, it's part of the process. It's part of what we've always yeah. discussed down is being agile and pivoting. Absolutely. And, you know, if you look at any technological evolution, the companies that are the kind of market leaders or first movers are rarely the ones that, that, that stand the test of time. And there's obviously exceptions to that. There's you know, a large number of exceptions to that. But um, it's still evolving. You know, yeah. new, new technologies will emerge, new ways of doing things. Um, and it's that, it's that exciting process of iteration and innovation that, you know, and this whole situation will drive a new wave of innovation. Like yeah. it's both within Ledger and outside. And, you know, the, the shock factor, which comes with heavy, a heavy financial price, um, will likely ensure that Ledger are more transparent than ever because yeah. they, can't, they can't take a risk. They, they know that people will be watching now. So they, yeah, can't, yeah. they can't risk a, a, a PR catastrophe like this again. So, you know, the fact that they're pursuing open source, it will likely mean a greater degree of transparency and communication. You know, they've had some poor communication. They'll, I'm sure they'll go to work on that. But, you know, the, the, the founders of the company, you know, it's not like one of there's these super underground companies, that, you know, that take Bitcoin. You know, who's, who's the real founder of Bitcoin? Yeah. Really? You know, at least with Ledger, these guys have names and addresses <laughs> and offices, you know. Uh, it, it, there's these companies out there that are totally anonymous. If something goes wrong, where do you go? You know, so it's it's like, yeah, it's just fascinating. The whole thing is fascinating. Um, yeah, and you've got to look at, you've got to weigh up, you know, what, again, because crypto is not one thing, you know, what are your priorities within crypto? If you were, you know, a lot of people, if you understand that a lot of these assets are going to be mainstream assets, this is, you know, all the big boys are 
I always talk about this, accumulating lots of these assets. They're not rebel assets. This is this is a new asset class of the future. Now, if you really want to accumulate wealth now, then you, yeah, you might think, well, I don't need to do self custody. You know, I want to have an insurance policy. I want to have a secure thing. You know, and I always want to say, although I'm a purist in that level, I'm not against that. You know, for, because it's what's your goal. Some people might be looking at what well, I'm looking for, sort of real privacy of transaction peer to peer with some Monero, whatever. That's another ball game. And then you need to look at, you need to learn more tech and understand that. So, within the spectrum, what are your goals? Yes. So again, I don't get. You know, I'm not a purist in that anybody has to do it in a certain way. It, there are so many different ways to do it, depending on your, you know, proficiency. Because you know, I listen to some really high level guys, you know, talking about it and saying that. You know, you've got to be wary that there's this balance between security and usability. Now, mm, some people, are, uh, some people are, uh, are creating systems so complex that it's a struggle to use, and then they can't, and you know, they can't pass those down because this is another element. It's really interesting. I've talked about it in the course that there is Bitcoin locked up in wallets forever now because people, early adopters, didn't pass down their private keys to their family, yeah. or to their loved ones, or to their next of kin. Yeah. And that's a reality. So, that, you know, it's very deflationary. It's good for the supply. But that if you create a system that's so hard, if you understand these are assets, you know, a lot of them that maybe some people have generational, you know, Bitcoin they want to pass down and hold this forever. And then you need a system that not only you can understand, but should you, you know, on your death that somebody else can understand as well. You know, so there are all these factors to think about. And, and you know, yeah, that I know people can, especially when you just think overwhelmed by this. Yes. I think there's, you can always find a way at your level, you know, but yeah. it does take curiosity. It does take effort, but that's, that's part of being an early adopter and part of looking at sovereignty and, and proactive actions. It does, doesn't it? If you don't want to do that. As I said, there is a simpler world of control and surveillance. <laughs> yes. yes. Oh, such is life. Oh, well, Sam, this has been a, a, a fascinating conversation. I'd say to our viewers, let us know your thoughts in the comments. What's your views on this, this matter? What have you learned from today's conversation? Do, do, do uh, let us know your views. Uh, and also, Sam and I have alluded to the fact that, you know, we, we want to be the antithesis to the kind of short-form shock value content. The reality is that short-form clickbait content plays into our very basic, like, monkey mind, and it's accordingly what goes viral and what gets, gets shared. So we are going against like the lowest form of our human psychology by creating these expansive conversations. So if you value these expansive conversations, please hit the share button. Please post this in the, you know, the, the Telegram groups and Facebook groups that you're part of and communities. Do help us circulate these bigger form conversations because we're, we're not going to break, you know, we're not going <laughs> to break down and, and, and fall into the trap that, that, that many will do in order to, to get these conversations heard. You know, we believe in these, uh, this import, the importance of exploring these matters thoroughly to get, gain a deeper understanding. And if you share that value with us, then please help us to share this conversation. Well, well Dan, the, the, the last 10 days has been a great example of that for me because I've been desperate to find, you know, other commentators having long form. And even the articles, everything was almost too short for me, <laughs> you know. And, and so, I, you know, I've obviously amassed a lot and I've read a lot and I've consumed a lot. But it was really hard. That's somebody taking proactive action, you know, who's, who's you know, um, focusing on it. So, if you're a casual kind of person, just a, very hard to find that, mm. you know, and, and that's not saying that wasn't good info, but so much of it didn't give a holistic view or look at the other angles. And, and it was really, so I, I experienced that as somebody looking at this tip issue. It was really hard to find, yes. you know, even with the best wood in the world, you know.
Yeah, great. Yeah, same. I, you know, I read a lot in advance of this one. Um, now, the second thing is, uh, if you're watching this on the day of the episode's publication, which is today, Wednesday, the 31st of May, and you happen to be watching before 8 p.m. UK time and you're interested in continuing the conversation, we have our uh, latest crypto cafe session this evening within the Navigating the Financial Reset program. If you'd like to join us for that session, we will also be touching on the ledger issue uh, not the same length, <laughs> it's a, it's a two-hour workshop, um, but we'll be touching on it uh, as well as various other things that I'll let Sam explain in a moment. Uh, but if you want to be part of that, you can join us at weareelevate.org forward slash NFR, NFR for Navigating the Financial Reset. So that's weareelevate.org forward slash NFR. And if you're watching after that date, don't worry, the workshops are fully recorded. Uh, our entire vault contains all of our crypto ca uh, cafe sessions to date, plus our Navigating the Financial Reset sessions today and our latest session, which we did last week on, um, on uh, asset uh, allocation and diversification, the fundamentals of investing was a, was a stellar session and that's all recorded uh, and in the vault as well. So if you can't make it live, uh, do come and check out the program at weareinnovate.org forward slash NFR. But, but before we close up, Sam, tell us a little bit, what are we, what are we covering in tonight's workshop? Well, we're going to look at the kind of uh, practicalities and considerations when building a crypto portfolio. And again, as I've alluded to in this in this episode, there are lots of ways to do that. But I think it's important to look at both um, the practicalities and the considerations on a practical front, and also, you know, alongside that, building an investment thesis mm -hmm. that can give you peace of mind, you know, and so you're an empowered investor because that really changes, you know, you know how empowered you feel in any market is if you're confident in what you hold, why you're holding it, and your kind of time frame and vision. So. Looking at that again, again, as we do in all the crypto cafe sessions, just expanding people's awareness, giving them really interesting insights and perspectives they may not have thought of, as well as the practicalities on top of that. And as I said, what's great is at any point you join, all the everything's there recorded in the vault to look back at and rewatch, and so it becomes a really, re really good resource of wherever you are. You know, even if some of the um, info you think is too advanced, you you can always go back to it when it resonates and it, you're ready for it. So I think that's what's great about us having that resource that is live current but also you can go back to you know and, and fit to you know where you are on your journey yes and if you're at a point where you've been listening to this episode and this is your first entry point into looking at digital assets and you you know you're hearing the difference between a hot and a cold wallet and you're thinking what's all this about then we also have the navigating the digital assets program which is really the fundamentals of, of this emerging um, uh, technology type and marketplace uh, it's a very short form three-hour course broken down into individual modules and lessons if you're really at the early stages of your journey and just want to get your head around the the absolute essentials, including the kind of ecosystem and the tools that you need to access the market, then you're really going to uh, benefit from taking that course. It's, 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 it's hugely inexpensive uh, and you can just get that at weareelevate.org forward slash digital assets. You've got all the information there. So um, this has been an incredibly valuable conversation, Sam. We, we, we broadcast these every single week looking at what's happening, not just within the crypto space, but actually looking at the wider financial reset this entire this entirely uncharted territory uh, that we're living through right now to help you to make sense of the world as it changes around it so that you can make informed and empowered decisions that impact the quality of your own life